Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, it is indeed, and it's eight minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock now on this 21st morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Thanks so much for being with us. We have uh, a lot to do in this hour, and that's why we were going to forego the traditional President Reagan top of the hour open. I know a lot of people don't like doing that, but uh, we have two guests that I really want to give as much time to as possible. Uh, I talked to you and talked with some other very important people on Friday about the curriculum in the state of Ohio's public schools. They voted on this this past summer. It was back in June, I believe, in which uh, they decided with what was known as Resolution 20 uh, to, quote, this is the resolution to, quote, condemn racism and advance equity and opportunity for black students, indigenous students, and students of color, otherwise known as BIPOC. Uh, you could just say minority students at any rate. It is extraordinarily dangerous. And joining us uh, on Friday, we had two members of the Ohio School Board who were opposing this, talking about uh, Lisa Woods and Sarah Fowler. We also heard from Peter Kirsten of the United States Commission on Civil Rights about this. Well, two people who are going to be testifying about this as expert witnesses tomorrow at the new uh, at the uh, Board of Education meetings are with us right now. The first you probably know because he's been on this program a few times before, Michael Goldstein, who is the Ohio Director of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. And also joining us is Kathy Johnson, who works with Michael. He's the lead researcher at Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, as well as the Assistant Ohio State Director. Uh, Michael and Kathy, thank you both for coming on. I appreciate that. How are you this morning? Very good, Bob. I also missed the Reagan opening, though. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know what? I, I hear the Reagan open twice a day, every day, and if I have to forego it to hear you a little bit more, especially on something this uh, important, then I'm willing to make that trade. Uh, Michael, yes. uh, and by the way, Kathy, can you hear us? Are you there? Hi. Okay, yes, good. Yes, I'm here, and uh, thank you very much for having us on the show today, Bob. It's a It's a pleasure. It's more than a pleasasure. It's extraordinarily important to have you guys on right now. Um, Mike, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking. I want to spend much more time listening. I just laid out... Um, you know, a little bit about what we are going to talk about and the importance of this cannot be overstated. Sometimes in the last, well, back when they were having this vote uh, on Re- Resolution 20 uh, in the summertime, we talked about this in terms of the 1619 Project. But as you correctly have pointed out to me off the air, this isn't exactly the 1619 Project, which we know is propaganda. And according to the founder of the 1619 Project, um, Hannah Nicole Jones, it is not history. It is their, uh, their version of it or their memory of it. It's how they recall it. So even though it's not accurate, it's just, they want to have it taught in schools. But as you pointed out to me, this isn't just the 1619 Project. There is much, much more going on here, including Black Lives Matter at School curriculum. And Kathy was kind enough to send me some advan- an advanced look at this and what it looks like. And it is more dangerous than the 1619 Project itself. So with that, Michael, I'm going to get out of the way and let you talk about what you are going to testify to tomorrow morning uh, or tomorrow at some point during this board meeting. Yeah, the uh, the board meeting is uh, available on the Ohio channel, streamed live. And uh, public testimony, that's what we're going to be doing, starts at 1 p.m. But we don't know how many people will be testifying or at what point we will be in the queue. But people can start looking at it at 1 o'clock if they want to, if they want to hear us. Perfect. And there will be other interesting people testifying as well. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about 2019 to begin with, and I like your summary. Um, and I know you're concerned about how widespread this is. It's not history, as you said. It's not meant to be history. 
the editor of the project from the New York Times, denies that it's real history, and yet it's been marketed as history to our school. And uh, it was, that was in August. It was published in August of 2019. By May of this year, the Pulitzer Center, which developed the curriculum from the project, says that uh, the um, they have connected curricula based on the work of the 2016-19 project. So some 4,500 classrooms between August 2019 and May 2020 Tens of thousands of students in all 50 states engaged with the curricular resources, which include reading guides, lesson plans, and extension activities. Tens of thousands of copies of the magazine, the project itself, were shipped by the New York Times and the Pulitzer Center to students and educators at K-12 schools, community colleges, historically black colleges and universities, and other campuses. And five school systems adopted the project at a, quote, broad scale, unquote, Buffalo, New York. Chicago, Illinois, Washington, D.C., Wilmington, Delaware, and Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Now it's September. How many more schools have this, this uh, false material uh, are they working with? Now, um, you know, Kathy and I are here on behalf of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, um, and I've been speaking with our founder and president, Dr. Lori Cardoza-Moore, who has been on your program in the past, mm-hmm. and um, and I have permission to talk about this. Um it appears that it appears that there's the possibility that the New York Times and the Pulitzer Center engage in a conspiracy to promote fraudulent material into classrooms, committing a fraud against our school systems, our administrators, our teachers, and worst of all, our students. And um, PJTN is going to explore the possibility that fraud was committed. And there certainly our students are being damaged. I don't know if the damages are speculative. It's too early to say. And it's too early to say if there really was or was not a fraud. But it certainly seems to me as a lawyer and as a former intelligence officer that it's, the possibility is there and it's worth looking into. I wouldn't burden a Bill Barr with asking him to look into it at this point. He's kind of busy. But we can uh, marshal the resources to look into this. And I think it's despicable and disgusting. Um, okay. And you're right, it's propaganda. And the, the, the point of the propaganda is to promote hatred of black and white students of the United States of America and the entire American project. It is to prepare the, as, as uh, Nicole um, Jones has stated, the editor has stated, to prepare the American people to approve monetary reparations to the, the descendants of slaves and, according to the economics in the 1619 Project, to destroy our free market capitalistic system in the United States and replace it with a a distributive type of society, economy, uh, with um, equality of outcomes. So that's that's what the propaganda is trying to do. Okay, let's bring Kathy Johnson in, who, of course, is your assistant director at, uh, in, the, uh, in Ohio uh, of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Kathy, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I really do want to touch on the Black Lives Matter at school curriculum, uh, and I'm happy that you were able to take a look at that. Overall, this is... I read it and I shivered at the same time. I I, I shivered. I mean, there's a chill that... I mean, I'm not kidding you. This is so extraordinarily destructive in so many ways, and not just to white kids in school, to all kids, including the black students who are going to be indoctrinated with this nonsense as well. Go ahead. 
Yes. Well, at this point, it is less pervasive uh, than the 1619 Project, less well-known. But, but as you probably noticed, it is more militant and it includes more intersectionality. It is action-oriented, and I will tell you that this is an NEA union-affiliated program. Uh, a little bit of history about it. Uh, it began uh, just as a day to support black students in Seattle in 2016. Uh, in 2017, then, a group of teachers from Philadelphia posted on Facebook that they were doing a Black Lives Matter at school week-long curriculum. So what it has become is a week of action that happens in uh, the first week in February. And uh, in, um, in 2017 to 2018, uh, there were probably 20 major cities that were using this curriculum. So it is growing. And one of the things I just want to point out, we don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to point out that it, this uses the 13 guiding principles of Black Lives Matter. Although they, they claim they are not uh, absolutely connected to the Black Lives Matter movement, they use the 13 guiding principles, and these are being taught. Well, they use the title as well. I mean, people need to understand yes, when we do. say Black Lives Matter at school, we're not saying Black Lives Matter and it's being used at school. The, the name of this curricula is... Uh, curriculum is Black Lives Matter at school, all all yes, together. And so they are indeed adopting the name of the movement and, as you say, the 13 guiding principles. Please continue. Yeah. The 13 guiding principles, I will read only a few of them for the sake of time, uh, but just to go down through and concentrate on a couple of them. Uh, the second one is empathy, and it says we are committed to practicing empathy we engage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect with their context. I just want to call, call out the name, the word con, comrades, and uh, I'm sure that that will have some connection for a lot of people. Uh, the fifth one is globalism, and we see our, ourselves as part of the global black family. Six and seven are queer-affirming, trans-affirming, um, they talk about collective values, and the one I really want to point out, Bob, is that is number eleven. It's about black villages, and I'll just read this to you and and, and all the listeners. We are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. Where have we heard that word before? that collectively care for one another, and especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Uh, this is a very globalistic, uh, disrupting the nuclear family. I can only say that we have seen a diminishment of the black family, and this gives me the chills, because we had intact black families that before... In, in the 1960s, there was a change, and fatherhood is, has, has become so less prominent. I think there's um, right now about 71% of black families have no father in the home. And this is just... Kathy, let me interrupt for a second, of, if I may. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I want to underscore <clears throat> part of what you're saying right yeah. now. Number 10 in the 13 guiding principles of Black Lives Matter being adopted here in this curriculum reads the following. 
We are committed to making our spaces family-friendly, which sounds good, and enable parents to fully participate. So far, so good with their children. We are committed to dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts, that require them to mother in private even as they participate in justice work. Dismantling the patriarchal practice, again, anti-father. Then what you read under Black Villages, disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages. In other words, no dads and village will raise the children. And then finally, on number 13, black women, we are committed to building a black, building a black women affirming space free from sexism, misogyny, and male centeredness. There's an outright assault on black fathers. And it is black fathers not being in the home that leads that pipeline from, you know, dropping out of school to getting into drugs or getting into other criminal activities and ultimately ending up in prison or, or, you know, or dead. Um, and that is just the sad reality. The statistics are beyond, um, uh, you know, it, uh, beyond dispute, I guess is what I'll say, that the lack of fathers in black homes is what is lead. Larry Elder talks about this nightly. Uh, that's what's leading, you know, to, to most of the trouble for young black males. Absolutely, Bob. You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. This is frightening to me. Absolutely and this is what they want to teach young black students teach and teach white students, students as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what this curriculum is, this uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter at school curriculum. All right, I'm going to take a time out here. We're going to have another segment with Mike Goldstein and Kathy Johnson from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. They will be giving public testimony tomorrow before the Ohio Board of Education about this uh, extraordinary, extraordinarily dangerous curriculum, plus uh, the 1619 Project and critical race theory, which is also devastating, this time much more so to the majority. And we'll let them explain that on the other side in AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1024, uh, we continue now with uh, Michael Goldstein and Kathy Johnson from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Michael, we spent a lot of time with Kathy there on that last segment talking about the Black Lives Matter uh, at-school curriculum, which is very, very dangerous. Um, Now I'm going to let you decide whether you want to go further into critical race theory and the 1619 Project aspect of the curriculum that is going to be instituted in Ohio schools, or if you want to do something positive and talk about 1776 Unites. You can decide. (laughs) <laughs> well, first I want to make one comment on the Black Lives Matter curriculum, in Please. school curriculum. There was a, one of the points, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was about uh, being in coordination and brotherhood with, I don't, uh, with the international black community, something like that. Um, I want to point out the work of Dr. Charles Jacobs, um, and his website is iabolish.com. Um, there is black... There are black Africans between half a million and a million enslaved in five African countries, Muslim countries, enslaved by Muslims. People are mostly Christians. And um, Dr. Jacobs has been there, has been to the slave camps, and has seen it firsthand and come back to tell about it. Uh, Mauritania, Nigeria, Algeria, Algeria, Libya, and Sudan. Between half a million and a million black Africans are enslaved by Muslims, and you never hear a word about it from Black Lives Matter. 
and not even from the people who say they're part of the black global community. They don't care about those black people. I think that should be pointed out. Um, other people are trying to get them out of slavery, but not the black American community, uh, especially the militants. Um, I did want to talk about uh, the Resolution 20. Uh, I will mention that the, uh, 19, the 1776 um, Unites, that's the name of 1776 Unites organization, um, uh, and it's um, Mike Robert. I'm sorry, Robert uh, Woodson. Robert Woods. The, uh, Woodson, yes. Woodson. Woodson, who's um, the founder of that. He's a civil rights activist since the 1960s. And this is a group of people who are successful black men and women who've gotten together, and they've written essays, and they've written books. And their point is that black people cannot be successful if they, port- if they feel that they are victims, which is what all of these other groups are trying to do, make them feel like victims. But it is the presence of, um, it's the whole American um, ethos of freedom, individual freedom, free labor. You can, you can get educated, you can take your labor where you want, you can, you know, like McDonald's, you can go be a waiter someplace else for double the money, or you can get training as a welder and get an entry-level job at $25 an hour. It's up to you. It's your energy which will create um, your success, and it's only in America where people can do this. Um, the um, the project is great. There's a wonderful uh, interview by Woodson, um, by um, um, Mark Levin. It's called available on YouTube, and everybody should take Ka- a look. Kathy, at it. yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, Kathy. Uh, did you want to say something there? Go ahead. Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, Robert Woodson's essay is called "The Crucial Voice of 1776." You can find it on step one seven seven six unites dot com. That's one seven seven six unites dot com. Very worthwhile reading. And I would speak to critical race theory if we have just a couple minutes and the, the effect on children. I don't know if we have time. Well, I do. we do have about two minutes left. Um, if you want to take it, or Michael, you're, uh, you're the director. You can call it here. <laughs> well, I was going to talk about Resolution 20 and specifically why it needs to be um, revisited and revoked. But I'll let Kathy go ahead with critical race theory because that's all part of this. The, the provision. Yeah, it's, the all of this is interwoven. Talk about, sorry? No, that's okay. It's, it is. It's all interwoven between the 1619 Project, the Black Lives Matter at School curriculum, the critical race theory, and yes, uh, the flip side of this with the 1776 Unites. Uh, it all, it, it all kind of weaves together in some capacity. Go ahead and, uh, and take two minutes on critical race theory, Kathy, and then we'll wrap it. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, critical race theory, it, it's a really long topic, but in short, it's a broad brush, brush, brush approach that seeks to view our broader culture, particularly in America, through a single lens, and that is racism and the regrettable history of slavery. And what it does, Bob, is it's a philosophy and a social movement that seeks to categorize and divide our citizens today into white oppressor and non-white oppressed victim groups. And it claims that racism is ingrained in the very fabric of American society today. The buzzwords are white privilege, institutional racism, and even inherent or implicit bias, all all large topics. But what I want to say is that when we're teaching through the 1619 Project this to children, 
white children will be burdened with blame and unearned guilt for their white privilege. And that holds that white America is permanently guilty for the plight of blacks here in America. And, and I'm just here to say that white children have done nothing to deserve this oppressive burden. And, um, and, and when we look at the precious children of color, this is the, the really sad part to me, is they will absorb that they are born into permanent victimhood. And victimhood and racial grievances are self-fulfilling handicaps that breed anger and demotivation. These children are bright, they're intelligent, they are deserving of every opportunity. They do not deserve to be paralyzed. Minority students are valuable, and they can contribute to their own outcomes. These children need to be encouraged, and this will demotivate them, and that is terrible in my book. Well, uh, Kathy uh, and uh, and Michael, I'll wrap it with this because I, I think w- what what Kathy just said at the end there is extraordinarily important. Um, black children are hurt by this curriculum, which which basically teaches them to be victims forever. You are always going to be victimized. You are always going to be put down upon by this racist, systemically racist country and by white people, including the white kids who now are being victimized themselves by being told that you are evil by virtue of the color of your skin. What happened centuries ago by people who looked like you, two people who looked like your minority student friends over here on the other side of the classroom, it makes you evil. And that is no way to foster racial harmony to tell the blacks you are being victimized constantly by the whites and telling the whites you are the evil ones who are victimizing those black people. That is not the way to bring harmony and it is not the way to to educate these children. Um, We'll have to wrap it there. Michael Goldstein and uh, Kathy Johnson from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. I know you're both testifying tomorrow before the State Board of Education. Obviously, it will be after we are on the air since it doesn't start until 1 o'clock, so let's pick a time later in the week to follow up and, uh, and find out how that went. Sound okay? Yeah, thank you, Bob. Thank you. Let's make a point of it. Thank you both very much. It's 1032. We're a little late for news. We'll get out and come back in. Your phone calls to follow AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1038 as we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. We want to uh, wrap the program for the next uh, 22 minutes with your phone calls at 216-901-0945, We've been very busy with Eric Trump, the son of the president, talking about the Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing and the vacancy created on the court that the left has decided we are going to riot over. We are going to burn American cities down. Why not? It's in their playbook. They have been doing it since late May anyway. But uh, now they just have another excuse and another reason to be the gangsters that they are, to be the radicals, to be the anarchists, to me, to be the seditionists and the, tra- the traitors that they are. I really, truly believe all of that. If you are threatening to commit violence and vandalism over the president of the United States doing his constitutional duty solely because you don't like it, then you do not have America's best interests in mind. You are trying to harm Americans and America, and that makes you a traitor, at the very least, guilty of sedition. It's funny, I use the word gangster there, because um, I think that's a great word to describe the new uh, Trump movie. The Trump card movie, to be more precise. It's the most serious election coming up on November 3rd that we've had since 1860. And Dinesh D'Souza's uh, latest film, Trump Card, explains why. And he uses that term, too. 
In vivid detail, you'll see an expose of corruption and gangsterism that defines the modern Democrat Party. And it reveals what's unique about modern socialism and who's behind it and why it's evil and how we can work with President Trump to stop it. Uh, it'll really help if you watch it. To pre-order your movie, uh, the video on demand or DVD, go to WatchTrumpCard.com. That's WatchTrumpCard.com. Do that right away. It is uh, an extraordinary watch. All right, let's go to the phones. We're talking about the Ginsburg situation. We're talking about uh, the curriculum that we just talked about with Michael Goldstein and uh, Kathy Johnson as well. It is absolutely devastating to think that your kids are going to be forced to sit through this type of curriculum if the state Ohio, uh, state of Ohio Board of Education does indeed mandate this. I mean, I, we just gave you about 18 minutes of content on it, did Michael and Kathy and myself. 18 minutes. And that should be enough to make you shudder. If you had a chance to read the whole thing, goodness God, you would be, uh, you'd be driving to Columbus and you would be demanding to be heard on this the way others are in their public uh, statements uh, to public testimony that uh, is being offered tomorrow. All right, Roz is in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Roz, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Well, the next earthquake you feel on the east coast is going to be the reverend dr martin luther king jr rolling over in his grave because we want segregation back again exactly that is exactly right i wrote that in my notes as i prepared today's show they literally are calling for a new era of segregation, self-segregation that is not being forced upon the blacks the way they were, or the way it was, rather, before the Civil Rights Act, but it is by their choice. And this is what the quote-unquote Black Lives Matter, Inc. organization supports. They do not want people to be judged on the content of their character. It is solely on race, and that's you know that's how they want to live. That's how they want to be educated, etc. Uh, you're right. MLK Jr. would absolutely be opposed to all of this. As a licensed minister, I am going to call out parishioners of churches whose pastors are backing this Black Lives Matter to go to their pastors and make them explain how Black Lives Matter and the Bible go together. I'm sorry, but put down your collars and your Bibles, if you're going to allow this to go on. And yes, that is, I have told my own pastor this. If you're going to back yes. this, I'm gone. I think that is very well said, uh, because they are not. They are not compatible. And quite frankly, we don't even need to go all the way to the Bible, in my opinion. It's great, since you're talking about religion and pastors, but I would ask educators... And I would ask anybody that is in a position of authority that can have a say in the um, uh, in the harmony or the disharmony between and among the races to ask themselves whether this is positive and productive to bring unity and equality to races, which there already is equality. But is it positive and productive? Will this make make us more racially harmonious or will this make us more divided on race than ever before? And as I said to my last two guests, teaching black kids that they will always be victimized in a systemically racist country uh, and teaching little white kids that they are the ones doing the systemically racist, terrible things to the, their, their black peers is not exactly a good way to make them want to hug one another. That is not the way this is going to work. You know, the thing is, if you leave the kids alone, everything is fine. 
go into any preschool, any kindergarten, up to maybe third grade, and see if there's any racism in the classroom. There isn't. Kids recognize kids. Kids play with kids. Unless somebody interjects something, there's never a problem. And that is exactly what this curriculum does. This it's this curricula it, it it literally from K through twelve it injects racism into the educational process. Roz, thank you for the call. That is exactly correct. It injects racism and it teaches racism to little kids. And it is not repeat not one way racism. In fact, the Black Lives Matter at school p- curricula literally is the opposite. It is anti-white racism. It is teach white kids to recognize their privilege and their supremacy and their role in the subjugation of blacks to a harsher lifestyle, even in 2020. Not in 1820, not in 1720, in 2020. Teaching little white kids that they are evil and they are responsible for the suffering of others is flat-out racist, and it's devastating. And it cannot be allowed in Ohio's schools. That's why we spent, uh, you know, so much time in the last two days, this past Friday, because today being the next uh, Board of Education meeting, meeting in the state of Ohio, and then, of course, uh, today with Mike and uh, with Kathy. Let's go to Cleveland. Dawn, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dawn, go right ahead. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Um, along the same subject matter, my daughter is right now upstairs yelling at her laptop because they're doing a Black Lives Matter discussion in her high school. Um, they're all online right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but her classmates are yelling at her because her viewpoint differs because she was raised by me and my husband, so she does not think like them. What uh, What is her viewpoint? Her viewpoint is that if you do not run from the cops and try to grab weapons and cooperate with them, that 99% of the time you don't get injured. <laughs> that, is, that is an accurate viewpoint. Uh, why, why do they oppose that? Um, they oppose that because they said that cops are trained to deal with situations and it should never resort to that because they should rely on their training. Okay, well, cops are trained, and that is their training, and that is until exactly. somebody resists arrest and presents a danger to the the police officer themselves or the public around them, uh, that's when they have to use force, whatever kind of force is necessary for the situation. You know, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, somebody like your daughter will go into a class and probably cite statistics, and I've cited them constantly. Peter Kirsten yeah. cites them constantly. Larry Elder cites them constantly, and you'll notice there's something different, different between me and Larry and Peter. I'm white and they're black, but we all see the same <laughs> statistics, and that is the fact that police officers have hundreds of millions of encounters with suspects and with the public every single year. Hundreds of millions. And literally through hundreds of millions of encounters with suspects, they have less than 10 single digits numbers of officer involved shootings of quote unarmed black suspects. And despite that number, which would be, if you wanted to ferret it out, 0.000000% of, of the time this happens, even with that, many of those quote unquote unarmed black suspects are not necessarily not dangerous because they are attacking an officer and trying to arm themselves by taking his gun. We saw that in right. the Michael Brown case. So 
you know, if she goes out there and says literally the number of black suspects who have a lethal encounter with police officers is point zero 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 one percent of of encounters with police officers, which means if you just comply ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, you are not going to encounter force, much less lethal force. They don't want to hear that. Because that flies in the face of their narrative, which is, we need to take over this country. Black Lives Matter is not about saving black lives. As I just noted, they're not in danger from police by any measure at all, statistically speaking. It is not about black lives. It is about destroying a capitalist society and replacing it with a socialist come uh, communist one. I don't even know why they're talking about this in school, and I'm a little concerned what's going to happen when they do physically go back to school, now that everyone knows how she feels about the subject. yeah, well, I think it, it's, it's putting her in a bad place. And I'm I ready think to it is, too. I think it is, too. <laughs> I, I think she's in a bad place, and I think she should make sure that she is um, you know, able to protect herself. And, uh, and, right. and if I were you, I would make sure that any school official at her high school, whether it be teachers to counselors to administrators, knows that your daughter, especially if anybody starts saying anything about her that might make her feel threatened, that she needs to be watched and she needs to be make sure that she is protected and that her point of view, which is absolutely as valid as theirs, in fact, more so because right. it's grounded in fact as opposed <laughs> to fiction, um, you know, that, that if her, her, her viewpoints make her a target in any way, shape, or form, it is unacceptable. And that means right. you don't go to the school board or anybody else that you have to. And by targeted, by the way, I don't mean necessarily just physically targeted in a way that would endanger her safety. I mean teachers, if they start grading her more harshly because they don't like the idea that she isn't going along with the the, the crowd and the new narrative of somehow that black people in this country don't have equal treatment, et cetera, et cetera, or any of the other nonsense that BLM spews, she should absolutely, and you uh, as her parent, should absolutely be aware of every single thing that happens to her every day in school. Right. I will do that. She even had a girl in her, um, it's like a Google meeting or whatever, say that there was a, um intelligence limit, like an IQ limit for cops, and that you have to be stupid because if you go above the oh, IQ geez. limit, you can't be a cop. Yeah. I'm like, where uh, did she hear that? Yeah, well, yeah, the same place that you hear 99% of the lies that are told by the American left, uh, and right. especially those who hate the cops. Uh, listen, uh, I, I really hope that your daughter does well, Dawn. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, letting us know what's going on there, and please keep us posted. Thanks for the advice. Because I, you got it. Because I know a lot of people are going to be dealing with the same thing. I, I, I know for a fact I know there are kids who are afraid to raise their hand and say anything that challenges the orthodoxy of, you know, black victimization and white supremacy and white privilege, et cetera, et cetera, because they are going to be called a racist and they're going to be judged by not only their peers, but by their teachers, all of whom belong to the National Education Association. They are all driven by the same ridiculous lies and narratives that their liberal or I should say their leftist union masters believe in. 1051, right back after this. Ten fifty six final segment. We'll get a couple more quick ones in here. Medina, <clears throat> excuse me, and Matthew, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Matthew, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking Matthew. My call. Are you there? Okay, yes, go ahead. Yes. 
boy, I'm telling you, you have some smart people on your uh, that called in today. My gosh, they really got it together, and God bless every one of them. Matthew, what, what, what's your point, Matthew? Because we're short on time. Well, I'm telling you that uh, this this sixteen nineteen business is very bit dangerous. I'm, I'm ninety three years old, and never have I seen it this bad in this country. And yet they're getting away with it, but they'll not get away with it as long as I'm alive. So uh, thanks for your time, Bob. Keep up the good work. Well, you need to do. Thank you, Matthew. God bless you, too. And you need to do what every American, whatever Ohioan, since we're talking about the Ohio uh, Board of Education here, needs to call your state representative and your state senators and demand that the and your state uh, uh, Board of Education and demand that they not allow this dangerous, dangerous, divisive curriculum to be implemented in this in the schools do not subject your kids to this nonsense you have to fight you have to be heard we have representatives in columbus use them and all you gotta do is google i've done this before i said this on friday google it up ohio school board contact ohio board uh, uh, uh house of representatives contact ohio senate contact and you're gonna get all of their emails and all of their phone numbers and you better burn them up burn them up um, Dean, or I'm sorry, not Dean, Dan. Dan is in Avon on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dan, go ahead. Hey, Bob, great show. I was just curious, have you ever heard of Thomas Sowell, by chance? S-O-W-E-L-L. Of course, yes. Okay. Yes, he's brilliant. Uh, yeah, he made a point uh, that since 1619 to 1965, 25% of the African Americans lived in single-family households. From 1965 to today, that number's risen to 75%. I just think that that's fact correct. Is just absolutely telling. So, yeah, it is, and, 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 and you know, because and thank you, Dan. I appreciate the call. Thomas Sowell is brilliant. He is uh, he's one of the best minds uh, of of his generation, not just of many generations, really of my lifetime. Certainly, I love Thomas Sowell. Larry Elder has quoted that stat from Thomas Sowell before. Uh, so is Peter Kirsten now. Twenty five percent to seventy five percent in in the course of you know uh, a, a generation, roughly. Uh, that is the fact of the matter. And guess what? When you don't have a child raised in a two-parent household, that child, particularly if that child is a minority, is on the fastest pipeline from, from school to prison than you can ever imagine. And it's not the school's fault. It's not the curriculum's fault. And it's not the law's fault. And it's not the government's fault. It is the fault of the lack of a family unit. The nuclear family is the best prescription to have a successful, productive life. Being raised in a two-parent household, then growing up and getting a, uh, an education, a diploma, then getting married before you start having children. You follow those simple steps, you are on your way to having a successful life, and that is what is being denied too many of those kids because of the way they're being raised. That's all the time that we've got. Thanks for being a part of it. Jim Jordan and Peter Kirsten out tomorrow on AM 1420 The Answer. See you then.